I realize that the Brundage congregation, you've been studying the very topic I have before you on the board tonight, and I appreciate that. And I wanted to say just a little bit about the concept of uh, the continual teaching of the doctrinal truths of the Lord's church. Anytime I study with a young preacher, what I ask them to do is to uh, make sure that uh, at least what I usually suggest is that at least every third sermon be a sermon of doctrinal nature. And usually the question I get, well, what do you mean by doctrine? And I usually say, well, that's a real good thing for you to think about and study on your own, and you come back and tell me what that is. But by that, I, I always mean those foundational truths of the Lord's church that we understand from the study of God's word and that are part of the foundation of the church. There are some foundational truths that we understand from the Word of God, and these are not secret. You know, they are in the Word of God, and they are for us to understand, they are for us to teach, and they are for us to repeat so long as the earth shall stand. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 uh, gives encouragement along these lines when Paul told Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So this is God's plan for the church to be perpetuated from generation to generation until the Lord comes again. We need to honor that plan and understand that whenever the Bible talks about the Lord changing not and his, his word being sure, that we can trust these things and we can, we can, you might say, rest our souls upon these wonderful truths. We understand what it means to find a truth and keep it in order to obtain a desired result in many areas of life. One of the areas where we understand that is in the area of cooking. Now, I am in the midst of having some wonderful meals as I go from place to place this week. And I will admit that I know far less about cooking than I do about eating. But as you can well imagine, I am a good eater. I've got that one down really, really well. And while I don't know that much about cooking, here's something I know. If you take an old recipe for an apple pie and you follow that recipe, you're not going to end up with turnip greens. Not gonna happen. Apples just don't magically transform themselves into turnip greens. Doesn't happen that way. We understand if you follow the recipe, if you follow the directions for an apple pie, you're going to end up with an apple pie. Now, that's basic to cooking, isn't it? Last night, I introduced the concept of hermeneutics, and that's, a, that's, a, that's an eight-cylinder word, you know. But the concept of hermeneutics has to do with the commands, the examples, and the inferences of the Word of God and the consistency that we are to have as God's people in figuring out the basic truths of God's Word so that we might also obey them. Now, 
You never want to outrun your headlights here. You always want to learn what you don't know from a foundation of what you do know. And we stepped through the concept of baptism, how that it involved much water. That was significant when John was, John was baptizing. We also learned in Romans 6 that baptism is a burial. We know what that is. We also learned in Acts 8 how that the Ethiopian eunuch who was baptized, he went down into the water. Philip and him went down into the water for him to be baptized. And then they came up out of the water. Well, why did they go down into the water? So he could be buried. How are you buried in water? You understand that has to do with immersion, which is the meaning of the Greek word that is transliterated baptism, the word baptizo. And so we can understand what baptism is by taking what we know and building on it. Now, if we get to the end of these chains of scriptural truths and somebody says, baptism is not immersion, baptism is just sprinkling, or baptism is just pouring a little water over somebody, you know what's happening? Somebody's ending up with turnip greens trying to follow an apple pie recipe. Doesn't work that way. Because when we follow the Bible's recipe for salvation, when we come to the water, we want lots of it because we're going to have to plant somebody. We're going to have to bury them. And we're going to have to bury all of them because that's the way burials work. And we understand those things. Commands, examples, and inferences also are key to our understanding the word of God when it comes to the music of the church. There are, now I'll come back to all this again, but there are some basic scriptures that, that are very, very important to us. And, and if we are going to pass, pass the Lord's truths on from one generation to another, then these are the types of things that we need to be speaking about those of us who are blessed and privileged to be teachers. The reason being, we do not do what we do in worship just because we flipped a coin and decided to do it this way. That's not what we do. We do what we do in worship because that's what the Bible teaches. And how do you figure that out? By figuring out things like the commands and examples and inferences that apply to our worship. And so it is not correct for us to say, well, we just prefer it this way. When it comes to the Lord's table, we have the Lord's Supper the way we do because that's what the Bible says to do. And our singing is done the way it is because that's what the Bible teaches. Our prayers are prayed the way they are because that's what the Bible teaches. We assemble on a certain day of the week with a certain frequency because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, if all of this were left up to us, I'm so amazed at the creativity of our minds that God has blessed us with. My uh, oldest grandson is in the sixth grade, and I went to his school open house the other night. 
and they had science exhibits that those kids, probably parents helping a little, had come up with. Well, there was one, one little kid there that had a round board with a hole in it. And he had a leaf blower that he started with a mighty roar and he centered that leaf blower down in that hole and he cranked that thing up and that board just rose up. The air pressure, he was light enough to where he could just kind of float around with that. I thought that was really neat. There was another kid that had a little motor that he had rigged up. Uh, this very, very simple but yet really special thing. My grandson showed us the effects of the sun on hot dogs with various degrees of sunblocker lotion rubbed on them. Now, that was, that was pretty amazing. I didn't know that hot dogs could sunburn, but, uh, but I learned that. I learned that. We can be so creative. Now, you know, if it were left up to us to come up with how we might want to worship God, couldn't we think of some neat stuff? Couldn't we, though? I, I know we could. Some of us might say, well, I want to do something every day at a certain hour. Some of us might say, well, I, only, I want to express my worship in art. Some of us might say, I want to express my worship in sleeping. Thank you. Some of us might say, I want to express my worship down at the riverbank with a fishing pole in my hand. You know, we, we could come up with all kinds of things. And you know what? When you look in the Word of God as for how God wants to be worshipped, it is far different than how individuals have made up that they think God wants to be worshipped. I told this story today about visiting with some individuals in Russia who were very concerned about what the Bible says about the direction of crossing yourself. They were Russian Orthodox, and they knew that others did things differently, and so they said, does the Bible teach that you should cross yourself from left to right or right to left? And they were very sincere in their question. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't answer that question for you because it's not in the Bible. They looked at me now, it doesn't make any difference what language you speak. When you don't believe somebody, it's pretty clear, okay? They did not believe me. It's like, hmm. I'm, I said, I'm sorry. It is not in the Bible how you should cross yourself. I said, in fact, it is not in the Bible that you should cross yourself at all. Yes. Knit. Not there. It is not there. Creativity in worshiping God has crept into most religions to the point that that's all there is, is man's creativity. At home, there's a big old church there down the road that has like four services, a traditional, a contemporary, a modern. I, I don't know all the words they use to describe them. It's like, I, I just don't see that. I don't see that. And so, whenever we come together as the Lord's church, people who are accustomed to exercising a lot of creativity in religion are going to say, you know what? The worship down there at that Church of Christ that meets on Plans Road, it's just pretty simple. 
and we're going to say, that's us. That's us. We're just the simple folk. Now, I don't mean that simple intellectually, but I mean simple in that God has designed his worship so that anyone can do it all over the world. And so we come together as God's people knowing how to worship him from his book. And we don't try to get creative about how we might do this or that or the other because we find the word of God sufficient to tell us what to do and then we find that we are blessed if we pass those truths on to the next generation and the next and the next and the next so that an apple pie recipe when followed is always an apple pie. The Lord's church, the recipe for which is in the word of God, will always be the Lord's church as long as his word is being followed. So, regarding music. The first reference to music of any kind in the Word of God is found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 21, where it says, And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. So there have been instruments of music around for many, many hundreds of years, just even just a few generations removed from Adam. The first reference to a song of any kind is when Jacob fled from his father-in-law Laban. Laban chased after him and caught up with him, and among the things he said included Genesis 31, verse 27, Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me, and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth, and with songs, and with tabret, and with harp? Now, Laban wasn't telling the truth, we don't think, but nevertheless he gives us an idea of what it was like to have a celebration in those days that we would have had a party, and that party would have included songs, singing, and the playing of instruments. Angelic singing is referred to in Job as occurring during the time of creation. Job 38, verse 4, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God, the angelic host, shouted for joy. The first recorded lyrics of any song is in Exodus chapter 15 after the children of Israel witnessed what happened to Pharaoh and the Egyptian army when they tried to follow Israel through the Red Sea. The song begins in verse 1 and goes on through verse 21. The verse 1 says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them they sank under the bottom as a stone, and on and on the song went. Verse 11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? This song, like many others recorded in the Word of God, is of an actual event that happened in the lives of the people. Every generation of people is known by its music, and by its songs, and every generation seems to have music 
that is not appreciated by the generation before. Now, a few years ago, I was at uh, Tyler, Texas in a meeting, and the, uh, the end of the house that I was given to stay in included a restroom, a bathroom with a, with a radio in it, and I turned that radio on one morning as I was getting ready, and it was tuned to a station that predominantly played Texas Swing. Now, some of you have no clue what I just said. Some of you remember artists like Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. And so you know exactly the kind of music that I was listening to. Now, when I was growing up in Missouri, 12.30 on your AM dial, WK, uh, KLWT, if I recall, the station letters, played only music for which they did not have to pay, which meant old music of the kind of Texas Swing. So for a whole week, I was treated to the music that I was brought up on. I really enjoyed it. I really did. I remember when that newfangled group, the Beatles, first came to the United States. Some of you are saying, he's really old. That's all right. That's all right. I remember that music. I remember well what people said about it. They said, it is trash. Nobody should be listening to music like that. But you know, you go back a generation before, and there was somebody named Elvis. And that generation's parents said the same thing about him. And now you fast forward to today's music, and what I say, it's really not music. I'd rather call it junk, especially if you land on a hard rock station. You don't want to hear what they say if you could understand it anyway. You don't want to know what they're saying, and it's just not good. There's all kinds of style of music. Traditionally, historically, the songs of a generation have told the story of the values of a generation. Now that's something to kind of make you shudder, isn't it? Hmm. Well, we won't linger. We won't linger there. Now, in the days when writing was difficult, carve it on stone or scratch it on, on, uh, on a, a scrolled material, it had to be important in order to take the time to write and when things were written, they were usually trying to keep knowledge of the past alive. More often than not, the important events of a people's history were recorded in songs that were passed on from generation to generation. The book of Psalms is considered to be Israel's songbook. And songs were very important to Israel, as we can see, uh, from the preservation by the Lord's inspiration of the book of Psalms. It contains 150 psalms varying in length from the massive Psalm 119 with 176 verses to the diminutive Psalm 117 with only two verses. 
Now, if that was Israel's songbook, can you imagine somebody getting up and saying, we're going to sing Psalm 119, all verses today. Going to be there a while, aren't you? David, the man after God's own heart, according to Acts 13, verse 22, at least in his younger days, is the author of many of the songs of the children of Israel in the book of Psalms. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1 says, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Solomon, David's son, was a prolific writer of songs. 1 Kings 4.32 says he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. The one among us that has written more songs, at least the words thereof, than any one of us that I know of is, of course, Linwood Smith. There are many talented brothers and sisters throughout the years that have written songs, sometimes both words and music, but Linwood is a very, very prolific writer of the words of the songs that we have been singing now for many decades. And what a great work he has done in that regard. Singing is a way to express the greatness of God. First Chronicles 16, verse 9, Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of his wondrous work. Sing ye praises with understanding, Psalms 47 and verse 7. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises unto our King, sing praises, Psalms 47, verse 6. Oh, indeed, when we look to the Old Testament, we see God being praised in song again and again, over and over. When we look to New Testament times, we find that singing was an expression of worship and praise to God while Jesus was here upon the earth. After the institution of the Lord's Supper, before going to the garden to be betrayed, Jesus and the disciples took time to sing. Matthew 26, verse 30, And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. This is presumed to be part of the psalms that were traditionally sung after the observance of the Passover meal. We can see Jesus doing many, many wonderful things, but how often do we take time to imagine Jesus singing? But yet he did. He did. He took time to sing. Once the church came into existence, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, singing continues to be essential and a commanded item of worship in which to engage. Hebrews 2 verse 12 says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. That is what we have done tonight. We have been engaged in singing praise unto God. And it was appropriate that these songs be sung to the Lord paying attention to the words of them because we are singing praises to our almighty God when we lift up our voices in song. Our brethren at Corinth had some issues in many, many areas, and they were not doing what they were supposed to do. In Psalms 14 and verse 26, Paul tells them, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Now, all of these are religious things. 
that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. But yet Paul is telling them that what they are doing of these religious things is not appropriate. Now remember I talked about whether or not we should exercise our own creativity in worship? That's what these people were doing. They were doing religious things their own way. And Paul is saying to them, that's not what God wants. You know what they were doing in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26? It appears to me they were doing all those things at the same time. Now, this was in the days of spiritual gifts. Remember that? The days of miracles when you could miraculously know a foreign language, you could miraculously teach somebody a new song that had never been created before. You could miraculously have a truth from God's word because it wasn't written down yet. That's the days of spiritual gifts. And so, here's what was happening at Corinth. All of these people with spiritual gifts were coming together and somebody would say, you got to hear this new song. And they just start singing it. Somebody else would say, well, here's a truth that God revealed to me. And so this person and that person and this person and that person were singing and talking and singing and talking and singing and talking and it was just chaos when the church came together. And Paul says, what are you, what are you doing? What were they doing? They were doing religious things. But not all religious things have God's approval. It's only when religious things are done in the right way that they have God's approval. And so after that, Paul gave orders for how you're supposed to preach when there are people there that don't understand. And we do this when we go to any other place and need to preach with an interpreter. Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 14, we speak several sentences and then the interpreter says what we have said. And in that regard, what do you have? You have one person at a time. And verse 30 warns our brethren at Corinth, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. And verse 32 says, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Verse 31 says, for ye all may prophesy one by one that all may learn, that all may be comforted. Quit doing all of this stuff at the same time and don't try to tell me, Paul is saying, you just can't hold back. He said the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Men and women both had spiritual gifts in the early days of the church, miraculous spiritual gifts. And evidently, ladies were also bursting out to give a truth or to teach a song. And verse 34 says to the ladies, let your women keep silence in the church. It's not permitted unto them to speak. They're commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And so verse 40 sums all this up in 1 Corinthians 14. Let all things be done decently and in order. There's a fitting way for God to be worshipped. And we must never be guilty of recreating Corinth's chaos. Now, when anyone would presume the right to mix items of worship. They're just doing what Corinth did. It was wrong then, and of course, it is wrong today. And so, when it comes to our singing, it must be done the way that God wants it done in order to be appropriate. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15 says, What is it then 
I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Our singing is not just for the purpose of hearing a sound, but also for understanding the message of a song. It is the combination of sound and understanding that stirs our hearts in the way God intended. And while we can be stirred by sound alone, and while we can be stirred by words alone, when these two things are combined for singing, it makes a special combination that is approved and blessed by the Lord and is intended to contribute to the joy of being a Christian. And that is what the Lord wants us to understand when he says, as I read, I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the understanding also. Now obviously, in Old Testament times, there were many musical instruments used in worship to God. We find that in various passages, 2 Chronicles chapter 29 says that there were trumpets and the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel, in verse 27. All the congregation worshiped, the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and this all continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the worship of the sanctuary was first established, David gathered a group of some 4,000 people to sing and to play instruments. There were many instruments that were used in worship of God in Old Testament times. And so while we see instruments of music of many kind used in the Old Testament, what do we find in the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament we find such passages as Ephesians 5 and verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, we have here a concept of looking to see what the Bible authorizes as far as the music of the church is concerned. And we have a, dis a difference between Old Testament rules and New Testament rules. And so, in Old Testament times, what can we find that is authorized? Well, in the, in the last Psalm, Psalm 150, Praise ye the Lord, praise God and his sanctuary, Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. So we find that in Old Testament times, it was appropriate to play an instrument in order to please God and in order to praise him. Also we find in verse 4, it says, Praise him with the timbrel and with dance. So here was another way to praise the Lord. Praise him uh, with stringed instruments. Praise him with organs. Psalms 149 verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And so we find that in the Old Testament, when it came time for them to praise the Lord, what was authorized? Playing an instrument? Yes. Dancing? Yes. Singing? Yes. And in the New Testament, so do we find playing an instrument? No. 
Dancing? No. But we do find singing. And so what do we do in the worship of the church in music? We sing. Why don't we play and dance? After all, the Bible doesn't say anything about those in the New Testament. And actually, that's precisely the reason why we don't. Because an additional hermeneutic concept is not only command and example and inference, but also the silence of the scriptures. And the silence of the scripture is prohibitive. You see, we are authorized to sing in New Testament times, but the Bible says nothing in the New Testament about playing an instrument or about dancing in praise to God in worship. So we do that which is named because it is authorized specifically and we let the silence of the scripture prohibit everything else. Now, here's what happens to us. And I've had this happen I don't know how many times through the years. Well-meaning people will come in, see our assemblies, and they will say, oh, they must be poor. They don't have a piano. And so haven't you known of well-meaning folks that would say, you know, I, I would like to buy your church a piano. Some of them have said that after hearing some of our congregations sing. They've said, oh, you really need one. You really need one. Well, I'm sorry. Remember, it takes following the apple pie recipe to end up with the apple pie. And so it is in the New Testament worship. We want to follow what God authorizes. And so it is very easy to look at this and say, do these little details actually make that much of a difference? Do these little details actually make that much of a difference? Let, let me go back to Corinth with you for just one little thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's what had happened. The church had been in existence 25 or 30 years. And you know, 25 or 30 years of doing the same old thing can kind of get old once in a while. This is about the Lord's Supper. 25 or 30 years of the same old thing, Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and evidently somewhere in time somebody at Corinth said, you know, why don't we just spice this up a little bit? Now this is my very loose translation, okay? Why don't we just spice this up a little bit? And Paul said to them, what you are doing is not the Lord's Supper Verse 20, now this means they were calling it the Lord's Supper, but Paul is saying, that's not the Lord's Supper. But now wait a minute, Paul, you're a little old-fashioned here. After all, we've been doing it this way 25 or 30 years. Don't you think it's time to step on up a little bit at least? Paul said, here's what I want you to do. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. 
This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Paul said, I want you to go right back to what Jesus did. Paul, it's been 25 or 30 years we've been doing the same thing. Yes, that's right. But it doesn't say not to do some of this other stuff. We may say today, let's go back to what Jesus did. Let's go back to what the New Testament authorizes beyond a shadow of a doubt. And let's do those things. Now, if 25 or 30 years was not enough of the passing of time for it to be okay to change the worship of the Lord's church, neither is 2,000. We have no business tampering with the worship of the Lord's church. And so, when we find how we are to have the music of the church, can we enjoy playing instruments? Oh, yes. Oh, I so admire people who can do that. But it has no place in New Testament worship of the church. Can we admire somebody that can dance? Well, from afar, please. There's problems with Christians carrying on that way. I so admire somebody who can do that. Well, it's just not me. You know, some people, they hear music and they just automatically start to, their body just starts to move. Mine just sits there. I don't understand that one. Some people think, oh, if I could just dance before the Lord, it would be a wonderful expression of praise. Sorry, stifle yourself. Oh, if I could just play my guitar, it would be wonderful praise to God. Sorry, you're just going to have to do without that one. But I can't sing a lick. This is not talking about carrying a tune. This is talking about making a joyful noise. You see. And whenever we come together and we lift up our voices in praise to God, it doesn't make any difference if we're all over a part or if we're not on any part. You know, where I'm from, we mostly have that good part monotone down really good, and that's okay because it's a joyful noise unto the Lord. Two stories and then I'm through. Most children end up with favorite songs. When our oldest grandson was just a little, little boy, he loved the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. He had a standing request with anybody he could influence to lead that song. And so anywhere I would go where he was, he would ask me, Papa, are you leading a song? And if I said yes, he'd say, sing Holy, Holy. Sing Holy, Holy. He went to everybody singing Holy, Holy. And so, as often as he could talk anybody into it, that's what we say. And I remember one time when I led Holy Holy, and I sat down and he leaned over in his sweet little voice, and he said, thank you, Papa. Oh, he liked that song. What does Holy Holy mean to just a little fella? I don't know. But it's part of the package of life. I got to baptize him last summer. He sings holy, holy as a Christian today. And singing holy, holy when he was just a little boy, if that helped him learn to love the Lord, oh, I'm glad we sang holy, holy. 
And I'm glad he is a child of God. And he can sing as a child of God for his life. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Psalms 104 verse 33 says, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. For some years, after we went to 64th Street, Sister Flora Helvey was still alive, and she had Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is such a devastation to one's life. It robs a person of their being and of their dignity, and it is a very sad thing to observe along the way. The family is better off if they have a strong sense of humor, because sometimes if you don't laugh, you cry. You know that. And Sister Flora, a couple of things. One time she would leave the house and she loved ice cream. And she went from neighbor to neighbor saying, have you got any ice cream? They won't give me any ice cream. There was about three neighbors that gave her a bowl of ice cream before the family found her <laughs> and brought her back home. Oh, she loved ice cream. She loved to come to church. She'd stand at the door where everybody came through and she knew she was supposed to greet us. She just forgot what she was supposed to do. So as people would come through the door, she'd say, can I kiss you? One little old lady in her 90s said, no, you'll knock me down, get out of the way. Can I kiss you? Oh, she loved to come to church. And when she was told it was the day to go to church, every few minutes, is it time to go? Is it time to go? Is it time to go to church? Oh, she loved to go to church. When she had forgotten her children's names, when she no longer remembered how to read, when she could no longer dress herself, she still remembered her husband, and she still remembered how to sing. And one night I watched her as we sang that old song, Not a Step. And she didn't sing very much in the verses, but when the chorus came along, she sang, not a step will I take. Not a step without him will I go. He will lead me along to that beautiful home over there. And just for a moment, she was a child of God who loved to sing praises to her God. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. As long as she had the least bit of ability to sing praises to God, she was able to sing, not a step will I take without him. Is God that precious to us tonight? Oh, I hope so. That as our last memories of being a functional person may pass from our lives, we would still concentrate on God and things of Him and how to praise Him. But this side of that, where are we? Do we want to praise the Lord correctly? Do we want to praise Him as a child of His in the way that He has prescribed? Oh, I hope so. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, there are some wonderful, simple steps for you to take in order to become a child of God. It's necessary to believe because we know we look 
before in previous sermons that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's necessary to have the word of God involved in our learning so that we might have faith. It's also necessary for us to repent because unless we change our minds about who we're going to serve in life, we'll be lost. And we need to change our mind and our heart that we're going to serve the Lord. And that's a sorrow followed by a changed life as evidence of our change. We are to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, as the Bible declares him to be. And then we are to be immersed, as I talked earlier in the lesson in baptism, so that we might have the forgiveness of our sins. When we do those things, the Lord's word promises that makes us an apple pie. No, it doesn't. That makes us a Christian. That's how you get to be a Christian, doing what the Bible says. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.